Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10-season show. Today, we're talking about Season 4, Episode 30, Vital Signs. Mary, what happened this week? We don't get any more Southern accents this episode, and I feel ripped off. At least we know the audience enjoyed Cat on a Hot Tin Roof or whatever that play is called. The play Steve didn't see because he feels bad about Laura, who we will probably never see again. Steve is sad that Brenda hasn't accepted his apology for what went down last episode, and she won't until he goes to see the play. He catches the last performance and goes to see Brenda backstage. They hug, and she gets makeup on his oatmeal jacket, and then they laugh. All is well or whatever. Okay, but, like, did he actually apologize? I think he I think he did. We just didn't see it because in the Peach Pit at one point, he's like, or, or, or he's telling somebody, like, I said I'm sorry, or, like, something like that. Yeah, because he kept saying that, like, he apologized and she won't accept it. And I was like, I'm pretty sure all I saw you say was, like, it's over. Yeah. I was like, that's not an apology. And she's right to not accept your apology for telling everyone that she slept her way into a role. Yeah, I mean, I think we kind of talked about this last time, but it was like, Brenda's doing the right thing here. Like, by staying mad, by mm-hmm. not just accepting an apology just because he says I'm sorry, like there's more to it than that. And I, I think I think they don't want us to like that about Brenda. I think they want us to not like that about Brenda and be like, oh, but Brenda, it's Steve. Like, get over it, you know, like stuff like that. And no. That was a horrible yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, I think that's definitely what they're trying to do. But I think they forget the fact that like They've done this with Steve a few times mm-hmm. this season. Like, you know, Laura and the Take Back the Night thing. And then him outing Matt, uh, Ryan, Mike Ryan. Mm-hmm. But like he's done this, like, you know, it's good guy Steve. He just messed up so many times in this season. Yeah, I think we talked about earlier in the season how Steve – it's very hard to like Steve because he get he does something wrong, gets redemption, does something wrong, gets redemption. And at a certain point, it's like, I don't actually believe you're a good person. You're just lucky and privileged. So. Yeah. I mean, like, he does some good things. Like, we do see that one scene where he's packing up Laura's room for her and is like, yeah, I told her parents I'd make sure everything gets back to her. And, like, that means he's talking to her parents and checking up on her. And, like, you're right. I don't think we're ever going to see her again. But I do appreciate that they're like, she is getting help. Oh, for sure. I'm glad we at least got closure on it. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, I mean, that's basically like everything that happens specifically with Brenda and Steve is that like Steve doesn't want to go see the play because he feels bad. Brenda won't forgive him. They get huffy about it. And then he eventually goes to see the play and she gets over it. Yeah, I mean... I think, too, it's, like, Steve wanted to get Brandon involved. Like, why can't you talk to your sister kind of situation? And Brandon's like, I don't want to get involved. And I'm like, who are you and what have you done with Brandon Walsh? (laughs) And, you know, they had that side conversation. And then, you know, Brenda does great in the play, which I don't remember if – yeah, pretty much everybody went to go see it except Steve. 
Um, and there's one scene, I believe, let me find it. Gosh, I wrote a lot of stuff, but apparently none of it's about Steve. Yeah, that's like, I don't think Steve really got featured much in this episode because the only other stuff that I would even want to talk about with the Brenda story is like technically the second scene where Jim is making breakfast for Cindy Mm -hmm. while she's reading the newspaper and like, you know, talking about how this review of the play is like Brenda Walsh. So amazing. And Jim is like, man, I'm so proud of her. And I'm like, what? I know. I think I wrote down like, is Jim finally proud of his daughter? Just for now. She'll do something next episode right before she leaves and he'll be like, I never liked that Brenda anyway. <laughs> Good. She can act her way into someone else's family. Ouch. A little too harsh. But I mean, um, like, where's the lie? Oh, yeah. And I mean, everybody's enthralled by Brenda's performance, like that goes to see it. And she's even too busy to like hang out with the rest of the gang after her play because Roy Randolph is actually doing a good job of making sure that Brenda gets contacts and stuff because she actually does do a really good job. We don't get to see it, but it's very clear by the standing ovation she gets, by the roses, by the feedback from Roy Randolph that she does a very good job um, and could actually do something with this. I thought it was kind of funny every time she got a standing ovation, like you see her like looking around and like Roy comes onto the stage to bring her flowers and all this stuff. And like the rest of the the cast, like never comes forward to take a second bow with her. They just sit there and let her get cheered for like a minute. Mm-hmm. It's like, I've literally never seen this ever before in theater. Yeah. It's like, Either she needed to, like the other cast members needed to walk up with her, or she needed to step back into the ensemble, (laughs) and it just doesn't happen. Yeah, because like that's, I'm pretty sure in every play that I've seen, that's what happens. Like everybody comes out and like takes bows, and then the leads like step forward and get their thing, and then they step back, and everybody does a whole nother one, and like, not Brenda. Not Brenda. I also want to point out in that scene with Jim and Cindy, that apparently Jim has missed Mother's Day and Brandon makes an accounting joke. Mm-hmm. I heard it. I also wrote down that Brandon is like on his way out the door and then Brenda comes in and he stops to go back to her and kiss her. Not going to miss that. Very affectionate. It's just really too much. It really is. I mean, like at least he's supportive, but bruh, too much. Like literally, bruh. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, the the kind of the the only other scene that doesn't involve anyone other than Brenda and then Steve is that last scene, the final performance, the matinee. Some random guy named Tom says he wants to work with Brenda again. The producer, Eddie, or whatever his name is, gives her a half-assed compliment. Um, Randolph says she has like this innate talent. Like, you know, you can teach people certain things, but you can't teach talent, blah, blah, blah. And Steve's there, and he says how wonderful she is, and, you know, she... That he was glad that he came to see the show, like, blah, 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 blah. And they hug and make up. And by makeup, I mean makeup gets on his jacket. So (laughs) apparently things are fine. Uh, You saying Eddie did remind me after the opening night when everybody is backstage with her, which was also kind of weird. Like, you don't just bring 10 people backstage with Mm -hmm. you after a play. Including a child. (laughs) Cindy starts talking to Eddie 
And she's like, Jim, come meet Eddie. He's from New York. And then Jim is like <laughs> perfect dad and is like, oh, our best friends live in New York. And they're like yelling across the room to each other like, what pot? And he's like, Buffalo. And he's like, uh, uptown or downtown or south side or north side. I forget exactly what he said. And Jim's just like, I don't know, because all I know is they live in New York. Like, no, yeah. they're they're just being parent of just like I have to find a connection with you to show that like I'm with it. <laughs> I'm not just Dad, the accountant, who's eating all of this food from Crafty. Right. Exactly. Um, and then like this kind of goes with the Dylan storyline, but before opening night before she goes on stage like she's you know getting herself already and there's a present waiting for her and it's a saint genesius medal which roy randolph so caringly tells us exactly what that is but i have one of those oh you and do I that story oh nice that's fun yeah. yeah since mary and i went to a catholic high school and we were theater kids uh when the seniors graduated every year we'd have like like a breakfast or something with all the theater kids. And Mr. Dodson, our director, would give everyone a St. Genesius medal and say, like, this is St. Genesius, the patron saint of theater. He, you know, was acting in a play that went against God and, like, had an epiphany and, you know, converted on the stage and then was killed. Every wow. year. Four years in a row I heard that speech. <laughs> Why, well, hey, it really stuck. And apparently has been passed down to every theater or whatever. So that's kind of cool though, that that's so relevant. Like I, I I really like that. That's fun. But of course Dylan gave it to her. And like he has perfect penmanship, his curly cursive. I, I don't I don't believe that's his handwriting, but No. I really love the idea that he just gave her some like religious medal and then just wrote Dylan. Yeah. Like, like, no explanation. What if Roy didn't know? Also, like, is it for Dylan? To Dylan? Like, from Dylan? <laughs> you don't actually know. Was it somebody dropped off a present for Brenda for to give to Dylan? <laughs> <laughs> they accidentally put it down. There's actually a guy on the in the cast named Dylan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. That would be hilarious. Um, No, sorry. That was for Dylan, your co-star. <laughs> Oh my gosh, how funny would that be? That would be hilarious. I love that. I think we didn't necessarily go in order, but that's basically it for Brenda. Nat gets his one scene by praising Brenda. Yep. Because uh, even he went to go see the play before Steve would. I know. Yeah, there's gosh. like one more Brenda scene, but I want to talk about it with Dylan. So Same, same, same. Um, all right, then. Mary, you want to tell us what else happened? Donna is the entertainment chairman for sorority, and David is helping in air quotes. They book Babyface, who I think is a hip-hop act for the CU Carnival. While at the studio, because I guess that's where you go to find musicians, David meets a curly-haired girl who knows some bands he likes. They drink water out of cones together. She's been putting a band together, and she invites him to jam with the guys. Her name is Ariel Hunter, and she's cute. Carlos, Lenny, and PK meet up with David, and they jam. 
with a saxophone and a keyboard and some other guys are there too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, PK swears he knows David from somewhere. And I wrote down before I knew, I bet it's from the meth. (laughs) They jam. (laughs) Donna comes to watch. The dudes really like David, but uh uh-oh, they know Howard and they do the meth. And now they get to open for Babyface together. And David decides not to join the band because meth. And tells Donna about it. So honesty, good boy, I guess. Honestly, like, not a bad episode for David. I know. We saw some actual growth. Like, he's still an impatient little boy, like, with the whole music thing, like, in the beginning when they're picking the uh, music for the Mardi Gras or whatever. But, yeah. Not a bad episode for him because at least he kind of learns a little bit of a lesson about doing not doing drugs, but then also about telling Donna and being honest about it. Yeah, I literally the first thing I wrote was like, "Great Council chose Donna to pick the band, and David is helping." And by helping, I mean David's doing everything. (laughs) But then, yeah, pretty much after that, I was just like so proud of him. I was like, you know, he's sitting in the lobby waiting for Donna to do her stuff, and this like super pretty girl comes over and david calls donna his girlfriend okay yeah and that was the thing i noticed too i was like okay i guess that gives us confirmation that they are indeed back together or at the very least they're bad at communicating and david thinks they're back together (laughs) (laughs) but he said girlfriend in front of a really pretty girl and i was like literally like even that is growth it's progress yeah i I will say I liked that her name is Ariel and I thought she was really pretty, but I thought it was a little silly that this guy was like, yeah, I like music. I play keyboard. And she was like, you sound like you're good enough to be in a band. (laughs) And wouldn't you know it, I have a hole in one band that and it requires your specific set of skills. Like, I just want to be like, ma'am, this is why you're still junior. You can't just like pick people out of a lobby and just be like, you want a band? (laughs) Yeah. It's like it's like what if he had played the tuba? Like she doesn't know. <laughs> At least what it would he... drown out that horrible saxophone. True. Oh my goodness. But I also, did not like it. Well, but also the keyboard was like a marimba or something. It like wasn't the sound of a piano. It was like I'm trying to think of where else I've heard it. I, I don't know, but it's almost like a mixture between one of the steel drum, like island drums, and then a marimba. So it was this weird, totally 90s sound. <laughs> it was very weird. Like, yeah. the key was just strange. The notes were bad. It's like <laughs> I didn't what are, like it. <laughs> what's the goal here? Like, what what... What vibe is this? Is this the beginnings of Yacht Rock? Like, (laughs) I couldn't tell if they were trying to do jazz or not. I think David was trying to do jazz, but he knew nothing about this band. (laughs) Yeah. They finished, like, jamming, I guess. And then David goes and plays a keyboard solo. I was like, you've known these people for five minutes and they weren't nice to you. Why would you keep playing? Yeah, Carlos, Lenny, and PK. What a trio. I'm so glad you guys wrote their names down because I didn't. I had to. Otherwise, I'd be like curly hair, doesn't talk much, and tall boy. I just called them the band. And I was like, this is the (laughs) band and they are mean. PK looked like Scott Scanlon. Yeah, a little bit. 
So I thought it was interesting that he was like, don't I know you from somewhere? And I was like, what if it was that actor? Just one more time. Well, and if this show was like a 2021 show, it totally would have been like a relative of Scott or like, you know, Scott's soul, like some kind of sci-fi thing coming to and and David's like manifestation of missing his friend or something. I actually kind of would have loved that. I know. But yeah, I mean, what's his name? PK? Yeah, he ends up realizing that he does know David from being a radio DJ. And then they're like, oh my gosh. Or no, he says, I knew you from hanging out in Mr. Andy's room. And then the other guy is like, oh yeah, you must know Howard. And then they're like, you're going to fit in so great. We got a grandma orange juice in the bag. Which at least now we know, like, this is a common way to to do meth. According to 90210. <laughs> you drink it. Who knew? <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, and you clearly saw in David's face, like, he was immediately uncomfortable. He's like, crap. Like, of course, when I finally, like, mesh with a band and, and have fun playing music and potentially get to open for Babyface, they do the meth. I can't do the meth. You know, and like, you know, even going beyond that, like Donna's already booked them. Ariel's like, here are tapes, like you guys are perfect together. Like he's getting all this pressure from all these different sides. Plus, you know, his recovery of like, but there's meth. And I remember what doing meth feels like. Yep. And yeah, like we kind of drop off from him for a while up until they go to the hospital later. And Donna's like, you know, asking him how the tapes were, how everything was going, how this is so amazing that all of this just like fell together, right place, right time. And I'm just like so proud of David, truly, that he was like, I can't do it. They they do drugs and I need to separate myself from that. But like this shouldn't ruin you booking Babyface. Yeah, and he even says, like, I've heard, you know, his reputation is not about that at all, so I think you're safe there. Because Donna was ready to just, like, cancel the whole thing, which makes sense because it's like if you're kind of attached to this record label, which it does it doesn't sound like they have a label or anything. It just sounds like she, the Ariel knows these guys. So that's – I'm glad Dave was like, no, no, no. It sounds like he's clean. He's good. Keep him. I just can't be around those guys. Yeah. No. Very proud of him. Huge growth. No yelling. No being no mean to Donna. So proud of him. He was a little impatient in the beginning with the music, but after that, he was smooth sailing. Yeah, and, like, honestly, that feels pretty on brand for David to just be, like, no, I know music. This isn't good. Pass. Yeah, or, like, just super picky. Like, once he knows the vibe, he's like, I, I have a specific thought in my head of what kind of music this should be, and that's not it. Yeah, so, like... I'm not super mad about it. I do appreciate Donna being like, hey, I want to actually listen to a full song and not Mm -hmm. just 30 seconds of a song. Yep. Yeah, all in all, not mad about it. Anything else about David before we go on? I don't think so. All right, Mary? Andrea is having anxiety dreams about a crying baby in the woods and she can't find it anywhere. Her alarm goes off at 3 a.m. so she can take her medication. Meanwhile, Jesse is sanding a cradle for the baby instead of studying or, like, sleeping. The next day, they go to see a new doctor, so hopefully Andrea won't have to take that medication anymore because she doesn't like it. 
except the pills aren't working. So Andrea has to check into the hospital like right now because her body won't stop trying to give birth, but also she has too many fluids. I'm not a doctor and that's all horrifying. So moving on. (laughs) Andrea thinks it's her fault. Jesse shows her the crib to prove that their baby will be okay. Luckily, this logic works on Andrea and she leaves for the hospital feeling hopeful that they will come home with their child who will sleep in that crib. The hospital does next to nothing to make Andrea less nervous about everything that could possibly go wrong. Luckily, sweet angel Donna brings Andrea entertainment, an etch-a-sketch, and a book about color therapy and pregnancy. Basically, positive vibes only, and the color pink lets your baby know you love it. Jesse won't admit to Andrea that he's scared about how complicated this pregnancy is, except he will tell Brandon for some reason. Andrea has another nightmare. The baby is crying in the woods, but this time there's a misty glow, a pink glow, and a tiny baby that fits in her palms. Nurse Dottie is there when Andrea wakes up, and it seems like everything's going to be fine until like the last five seconds of this episode when Andrea goes into labor, but like for real. I know that, you know, Gabrielle Carteris got pregnant in real life, and so they, you know, worked the pregnancy into the show and... This is a drama, so they wanted to, you know, raise the stakes and stuff. But, like, this is really stressful, and I really hated this, and this just made me feel crummy watching her feel so bad. Oh, yeah. She goes through it. Um, and it it's more than just bad intuition at this point – or not bad intuition. More than just her intuition that something bad is going to happen. It's mm-hmm. that something actually is happening, and it's really not good for her or the baby. Um but yeah, we'd like start off with that weird, weird dream. And, and I was just like, we're in a forest. I hear now. I hear a baby. Is anyone there? And then Andrea's there. I'm like, okay, is she in her nightgown? Is she in her wedding outfit? Like, what is she wearing? Because it was lacy. And then she woke up and she was in her like pajamas. And then, yeah, she wakes up from the dream. She's all sweaty. She's got to take her labor medicine. It is not a, a very pleasant time in the uh, Zuckerman vasquez household yeah and like this whole idea is that she's supposed to be on bed rest. she's supposed to be relaxing so that like you know her body knows that everything is safe and it can do the things it needs to do but if she has to wake up every four hours to take pills and she's already stressed and she said that these pills make her feel like what she say last time like speedy or something mm-hmm. i it is no wonder that she's having these weird dreams I have weird dreams if I, like, ate spicy food the night before. So I can't imagine, like, this kind of weird – yeah, it's just – and apparently this dream's been happening. She says it's recurring. So the fact that this one was even worse than the ones that she has been having, I can't imagine, like, what they started out as. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure in this episode we kind of have a time jump. I think they say it's been three weeks because – Like, Brenda's Mm -hmm. been having her rehearsals, and Andrea's been taking these pills for, you know, a couple of weeks. And, yeah, I can only imagine that she's been, you know, maybe sleeping in these, like, three to four hour fits and having these nightmares. Yep. It's horrible. And, like, of course, Jesse is up at three o'clock in the morning working on a bassinet. You know he's going through it, too. I mean, he does say it later. Well, that's the thing. It's like, he's up at 3 a.m. for reasons he shouldn't be you know when he like he's freaking sanding the crib or cradle or whatever and first of all like that doesn't help your pregnant wife 
like sleep any better besides the point (laughs) he also has to be studying because he has a final exam it's like bruh at this point pass your final like yeah baby needs you to pass your final yeah and i mean andre even says that repeatedly she's like you need to study you need to go take your tests like you still need to do all these things because i mean the next thing we see with andre is her going to this doctor with all these hopes that he's going to be like, everything's fine. And then this doctor is like, not only is everything not fine, but you're not going to be able to keep carry this baby to term. And you have to check into the hospital right now. Yep. And like, yeah, this is when they realize that Andrea has no chance of finishing out the semester. Oh yeah, totally. Like she's 27 weeks pregnant. She's in basically premature labor there's all these medical, medical, you know, blah, blah, blah. But like Mary said, she's so, she almost freezes and can only fixate on the fact that this baby is going to be born premature, not to full term. Like she's stuck on that because that's exactly what wasn't supposed to happen. Um, So now she's only focused on that bad part. Yeah, because I mean... Again, I know it's TV, I know it's drama, but, like, I just hate this man being, like, you can't carry this baby to term, and that's terrible. Like, there was no, like, babies have been born prematurely, and they're totally fine, and everything is going to be okay, and we're going to take care of you. It's just, you're not going to be able to carry the baby to term. Which is also kind of, like, it's got a little bit of a blamey connotation. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit. And he even goes so far to say, like, sure, there's miracles that happen. Like, miracles imply it's like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity or or this never happens, you know, something like that. It's like, if you're going to say something like that, say that the chances are low, but we're going to do everything we can to make you as comfortable and make sure the baby's safe, like, blah, blah, blah. There's so many different tactful ways to say stuff like that. Yeah, this man had very little bedside manner or like a bad bedside manner it was just constantly like there's a three percent chance that because you have so much fluid that your baby could be born with defects and that's high enough that we have to check Mm -hmm. rather than being like it's three percent so we want to check to be safe but it's three percent well and i think too like granted amnios nowadays i think are a lot um less dangerous I don't know how it was 30 years ago, but I know there's like some stigma, like even in Grey's Anatomy, they like, there is an argument on whether or not a, one of the unborn babies should have an, an amnio done or whatever. And it's like, that's how you can kind of see if your baby has, you know, like propensity for Down syndrome or autism or things like that. And for me, it would be like peace of mind, right? So mm-hmm. But I think these are probably just like either they didn't happen often or there was some risk or something involved anytime you go into whatever it's called where the baby lives, not the, to the belly, but the thing it actually lives in. The uterus? <laughs> no, no, no. The like the sack. Oh. <laughs> the, I don't The it, amniotic it sack? That guy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so... Anyway, <laughs> I mean, I, I guess like to, you know, put all this in perspective, they go back to the house to pack a bag because on the off chance under he does carry to term, like 
term is 40 weeks or something. So she'd be in the hospital for like three months. Mm -hmm. So they're, you know, packing a bag for her. And she's thinking that all of this is her fault from being around the cats, from getting out of the bed when she's supposed to be on bed rest. And like, I really appreciate Jesse being so sweet and being like, that's not true. None of that is true. We're going to have this baby and we're going to bring it home. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of the cats thing, I was like, wait, cats? Wait, you can't be around cats? So I looked it up and and it's not cats, but it is their litter. Like apparently like kitty litter has some sort of uh, toxin or something in it for like that is really bad for pregnant women or whatever. And so, yeah, who knew? I never knew that it was like, I mean, you can be around them, but if you change the litter box, like you got to like wear gloves and whatever. But I was just like, why cats? (laughs) Everyone always gives cats a bad rap and truly like, cause I've heard this before too. It's like, if you've been around cats and like, you've been the one scooping litter from before you got pregnant and then you got pregnant and we're scooping litter, like you're fine. Mm-hmm. Your body is used to it. Nothing is going to happen to you. Gotcha. But everyone likes to give do- uh, cats a bad rap and I just, it's not fair. My cats are treasures. Hey, at least like, even if they get bad raps, the cats, they don't give a shit. <laughs> they know they're amazing and they show you. So <laughs> Jesse's doing all this stuff to uh you know make Andre feel better. He brings her to the hospital. Like he wants to stay with her all night, and she's like, No, 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 you have to go take your finals. And he asks if she wants to call the gang and let them know that she's there. And I was like, Of course he does. Of course, he's like, I will call your friends. I will start the phone tree. Exactly. And she, and that's just so, like, I th- obviously this is Beverly Hills 90210. This is, this is about the gang. It's not about Jesse's friends and stuff. But I just, like, we talked about this the other day. It's like, it's so funny how when important events happen in TV shows, they don't have any other friends except for the immediate people that are, like, in the show. And yeah. so... You know, you don't even see Grandma Rose coming, which she absolutely would be there. You don't hear about her parents, Jesse's family, like any of that. You just hear about the gang. It's just Donna and Brandon. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I always think it's funny and I totally understand it. Like you don't want to confuse viewers with a bunch of new people or it'd be like, hey, do you remember Grandma Rose that you've only seen twice and it was two different actresses? Here she <laughs> yeah. is again. But yeah, I mean, he does end up calling everybody... Donna is her sweet baby angel self and brings her an Etch-A-Sketch. I guess that's like the 1994 version of the Game Boy. (laughs) But Game Boys exist. Oh my God, what if Steve brought her his Game Boy and was like, I put new batteries in. It's got Mario. He could have brought over his like Sega Genesis. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That would have been so adorable. But yeah, she like, she brings her an edge of sketch and then a book about color therapy, which I do feel like is like the perfect fusion of Donna and Andrea because Donna is like just so positive And then Andrea like does need like theories and studying and like things to focus on. Yep. And then while she's, while Donna's in there with her, Jesse had invited Brandon over to the hospital and he talks about how he's taken on so much he's scared because the baby's going to be premature no matter what um and all this stuff so this is the first time we've actually seen jesse kind of break down um and yeah you got to feel for the guy 
It's a lot. No, I really appreciate it. I think it's really important that, you know, shows allow men to feel emotion. Like, that's a whole thing of like, no, you're supposed to be the protector. You're never supposed to feel feelings, blah, 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 blah. And like, even this show in 1994 was like, Jesse's allowed to feel scared. Yeah. Like, he might not want to tell Andrea that because she's already scared, but like, he is allowed to have those feelings too. Yeah. And like, I think, I think that's where the difference is, is like, it's, I think it's better, not better. That's not the right word. It's like, you want to see men, excuse me, you want to see men with the ability to feel feelings and have emotions. But I do think it's the right move for Jesse not to tell Andrea right now because she doesn't need that. So not only is it just being able to feel your feelings, but also the awareness that it's not the right time to, you know, talk about it with your wife who is already struggling with a whole lot of stress. And, you know, like Brandon is not necessarily like Jesse's best friend, close friend, whatever, but I appreciate that Jesse talked to a man about his feelings mm-hmm. rather than like talking to a woman. Like, I just feel like all of these things are really important. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, of course it was Brandon. Like it's always going to be Brandon. Even oh. he comes back. I don't know if it's like the next day or a couple of days later, but the next time we see Brandon at the hospital, he wants to go to talk to Andrea and that's when her water breaks and she's going into labor and she's just terrified. And Brandon's like, I'm not leaving until like, I'm going to be here through your whole labor. It's like, of course you are. Um, But that, does that mean that he's going to miss out on meeting the president? Oh, I didn't even think about that. (gasps) Because his plane leaves in a couple of hours. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Oh, no. I mean, if he's going to have to miss the president, this is a better reason than the reason he thought it was in his storyline. A hundred percent. I'm so conflicted. (laughs) Like, I really, I truly appreciate the idea that Brandon is like, I'm going to be here. Like, I'm not going to, I'm assuming he's not going to be in the delivery room with them, but he's like, I'm going to be in the hospital. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be here for you because Andrea needs as much reassurance as she can get. But at the same time, I'm just like, of course it's Brandon. (laughs) It's always Brandon. Always. See, and I was hoping it was going to be Donna, just because we've seen over the last several episodes, like she, like Donna and Andrea getting closer, which has been nice to see Andrea get closer with one of her female friends. Oh, I would have loved that. I think that Mm would have been great. But no, it's Brandon. And I guess... Speaking of Brandon, Brandon has to bring some task force handbooks to the chancellor's office, but not before kissing his sister on the cheek. Inside those task force handbooks is a foreword written by Brandon, which compares public education to large critically endangered birds. Also in that book is a list of names of the task force members who will travel to Washington. Brandon's name is not on that list. Brandon wants to ask the chancellor about it, but his secretary makes a face and is like, um, maybe don't. She dashes Brandon's last hope that this has been a mistake. Later, Brenda, after Brenda's play, the chancellor avoids Brandon and says, I'm busy tomorrow too. Brandon, not taking the hint, goes to school super early on Saturday and runs into Kelly. 
Kelly talks to him about psychology and then tells him not to worry. Everything is going to be peachy weechy. Brandon power walks to Chancellor Arnold's car like as soon as he pulls into the parking lot. But it's Peggy, his secretary. The Chancellor is still too busy for him. An increasingly grumpy Brandon barges into Chancellor Arnold's office to yell at him about how being attracted to his daughter with questionable behavior shouldn't take him out of consideration to meet the president. Chancellor Arnold is like, Brandon, shut up. Did you forget I love you? (laughs) Also, you're the only one with any idea what this task force even does. Now get the fuck out. I'm busy. Also, the chancellor admires Brandon because someone had to put Claire in her place. So yeah, Washington awaits our boy Walsh. Just have to stop and see Andrea real quick and oh fuck. <laughs> God, I, I I do love that it, it seems as though Brandon is just as concerned as we are about whether he will or will not meet the president. Like, thank God the stakes have appropriately risen to the level that we've been taking it. <laughs> I know, right? Like, as soon as he didn't see his name on that list, he was just like, oh, my God, I need (laughs) to do something about this. And I was like, yes, you do. Like, that was the literal part where I texted you guys earlier or whatever. And I was like, guys, this is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) No. Okay. You know what's crazy? Everything that Brandon has written in this task force. Like, I don't know what was going on with public education in 1994, but when he's like, oh, did you like how I said that public education is like the condor because they're both almost extinct? And I was like, you go to a public university. You went to a public high school. You go to public schools. And, like, good ones. Yeah, the state of public schools... Still not sure what's going on and why this task force needs to happen. But all we know is that Brandon, yeah, wrote the foreword, has to deliver some booklets or handbooks or whatever to people? Not sure who receives these. So when I was reading the, you know, blogs earlier to just make sure I didn't miss anything in the episode, uh, the one I was reading just said, Brandon Walsh Task Force, blah, 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 and then nothing else. (laughs) Like, I mean, yeah. Accurate. It's like they could literally throw the most complicated words out there or, like, give us a list of all the random weird words that Moira Rose ever said in (laughs) Shit's Creek to describe the task force and be like, that makes more sense. Now I understand. (laughs) Yeah, because literally, like, his whole story is that he opens the handbook, he doesn't see his name on it, and then he doesn't get his ticket, because I guess the university is still buying plane tickets for everyone, which Mm -hmm. confuses me. Maybe we should talk about discretionary spending in public universities, Brandon. Yeah, like, that's the thing. Maybe the public schools are going extinct like the Condor because they're buying plane tickets across the country. Right? Like... I'm sorry. All we know about what Brandon has done is he's like proposed that teachers need to work more and then talked about how public education is going extinct. <laughs> he's a he's a visionary, guys. Just don't question it. He's a visionary. <laughs> and then yeah, I mean like basically the rest of the episode is just him <laughs> stalking the chancellor 
I did. I said earlier to y'all that I did not write down any quotes. I wrote down one Brandon quote. You lied. When, I would never <laughs> lie. When Kelly drives up on a Saturday on campus, I don't remember if they said why she was there, but Brandon said, and I quote, I play by the rules and I get burned. Yeah, he like said it. He's like, again, I did everything right. And look what happened. It's like, I almost wish he had made a like, I should get a DUI. Maybe they'll finally send me to DC. Right? Like, maybe I just need to, maybe I should have, um, you know, gotten arrested after that prom party with Claire. Maybe then I could meet the president. Like, he has it all bass backwards. He really does. And, like, he gets himself all worked up about all of these facts. And, yeah, like, Chancellor Arnold is really busy talking to foreign dignitaries. Yes! I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do they have, like, an embassy on campus <laughs> that, like, people or other chancellors from other nations can <laughs> come and talk about the task force that they're doing? And, oh, oh by the way, the fun thing to do at CU is go see the local, like, play that is put on by the university. Well, and then he was speaking to them in French. Yes! I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Where are they from? <laughs> I have no idea. I I'm just... pretty sure some, because it looked like they were wearing some sort of like African garb. And I'm sure that some African con countries, yeah, I almost said counties, um, <laughs> have like speak French. Like I want to say, is Morocco in Africa? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. I think some of them speak French. I don't know. The moral of the story is, is I don't know. <laughs> and I think the writers were like, we don't either. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't expect some of these, like, throwaway things that were mentioned in this episode to come back. But they also make a comment about how the Chancellor's really busy because he's about to go to France, or he's about to go to Europe with Claire. And I was like, is that going to come back? Like, is Brandon finally going to go to France? Oh my god. With Claire. Oh. oh my god, the Chancellor would take him to France. He totally would. Just him and the Chancellor. You can have Claire's <laughs> ticket. I bet he doesn't go. I think he hates France. I think he's completely <laughs> written it off. Ugh. Oh my gosh. I will say, uh, speaking of Claire, um, one of the other scenes that we got with Steve where like they're talking about Brenda when Steve is packing up Laura's room. Uh, Steve makes more pretty BS comments about mental health and like specifically mentions Brandon and Claire. He's like, oh yeah, we both love crazy women, don't we? Yeah, like I, I wrote that down too. I didn't write down what he said because I hated it. Elevator but... doesn't reach the penthouse. Ah. Uh... The idea that, like, a writer's room was, like, pitching these things of, like, what are different ways we can say, like, bitches be crazy. Right. Just makes me mad. Yeah, I don't love it. Yeah, but, I mean, anyway, Brandon barges into the chancellor's office, keeps talking to him, even though this guy is like, Brandon, Brandon, Brandon. And then 
The Chancellor tells him he's the point man for the California contingent. Of course he has to go. Like, what? (laughs) There's just these titles that keep being placed on Brandon that are broad enough to make it sound like he's super important. But, like, what does he do? (laughs) I just want to know if this was just one giant joke that the writer's room was like, let's make Brandon the head or contingent or the most important person or, you know, X, Y, Z of this task force about public education, but we don't give them any more details than that. (laughs) Right. No, they definitely were like, Brandon needs to do something important. And then they were like, okay, what is he going to do? And they were like, I don't know, put him on like a committee or something. We'll figure it out later. And then it came time to figure it out. And they were like, stall just vamp (laughs) he does something just stall can you imagine like turning in those scripts like i hope we kept stalling enough (laughs) (laughs) guys we bought another episode (laughs) oh my gosh and then finally the head writer is like oh man it sounds like he's uh you know doing education is that right and then they're like yes yes that's that that's it that's what he does public public education mm-hmm. <laughs> brandon's gonna meet the president <laughs> and then walks away like shit how did we get bill clinton it's like it's like when winston does his pranks in new girl it's like he always <laughs> does them way too far or like one yeah too big it's like the one the one writer that was like and then he's gonna make the president the other writer's like fuck what did you do? That was too big. <laughs> Stop talking. Yeah. We met the president of the university. Yes, yes. Chancellor, you know the guy that you always talk about? That, that president. Oh, no, I thought you guys meant Bill Clinton. That's a way better story. <laughs> and then Fox really, like, digs into it. Like, yes, he's going to go to Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And all the writers are just like, well, shit. <laughs> but, okay, so, yeah, if, like, All of this, you know, is going to, like, everything's coming up Brandon anyway. Was Claire just messing with him last episode? I don't think so. Like, I truly think she's the kind of person that has probably had guys, like, decent guys, try to, like, tell her dad that she's kind of a wild child or that she's you know, doing these things and, and they're that's why they're getting into trouble and like, blah, blah, blah. It's like her, not them. And then it backfires because like we talked about, like if he, if he is a single dad and had to raise her, like there's no way he wants to believe that she's the way that she is. Mm-hmm. So I can, I can believe it. I mean, maybe she is just messing with him and I also like that idea, but I, I actually think this isn't the first time that that's happened. Yeah. I, I really don't know, but I choose to believe that she's messing with him. Like I could almost believe since it's been three weeks that like, she's the one that messed with the printer and got his name taken out of it. And was just like, this is, I, I just, I'm wild. It's what I do. Yeah. Like she, like she thinks of the idea and it's like, Oh, he is going to freak out. Like (laughs) this is going to mess with him so much. And literally the chance was like, um, no, there was just probably a typo. <laughs> like, dude, calm down. 
I hope the secretary's in on it. Because she's Peggy? just like, yeah, because she's like, if your name was supposed to be on that list, it would have been on that list. The he he gate he wrote the list, man. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you, but I feel like Claire did it, and she's in cahoots with Peggy. I love the idea that Peggy is in on it because I loved Peggy every time she was like, "No, you can't talk to him. He's busy." go mm-hmm. oh i don't know i wouldn't go in there if i were you <laughs> like when he first came in with the handbooks and he was like i'll bring those in she was like no just put them here set them down i'll take care of it walk away <laughs> no i definitely love peggy i feel like she was like a key point in this episode i agree i loved her um, and now that we're, like, done with the Brandon story, I now think it's hilarious that Brandon was basically sent on a wild goose chase this entire episode. Because now that we're, like, relaying back what happened with him, it's like, he was just running nothing. around waiting on the Chancellor the entire episode. Yeah, like, I don't remember how, I feel like this episode only took place over, like, three days because it was opening night to closing night. So, like, I guess Cat on a Hot Tin Roof only had, like, maybe four performances if they had a matinee. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was literally just, like, 48 hours of Brandon, like, sweating for no reason. I wish Beverly Hills 90210 had existed after the show 24 aired because I would love to see a <laughs> bottle episode of 24 in Beverly Hills 90210. <laughs> I really wanted to just be Brandon specifically. Just the whole 24 hours, just Brandon. <laughs> just Brandon. The goal by the end of the day, meet the president. <laughs> oh, my God. That would be so good. And, like, next episode is, like, a two-parter. So they could do, like, a 90-minute 24 of just Brandon <laughs> in D.C. trying to meet the president. You see him get to the plane. He lost his, uh, like, license or something. So he can't get, he can't board the plane. His luggage gets lost after he finally does get to D.C. The cab takes him the opposite direction and they go into Virginia instead of <laughs> to D.C. Like, what shenanigans will ensue? <laughs> Take Brandon right, to it- rural Maryland. And then when he finally <laughs> finds his luggage, he opens up and Claire's inside. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh my god. Again, like another it. spin-off that just works. It just does. <laughs> We're just so good. We really should be like TV writers or something. God, can you imagine? We would be all over the place and probably have so many like <laughs> copyright lawsuits against us because we're just rewriting episodes of our favorite shows. They'd be like, guys, you are spending a million dollars an episode. Yeah. We're the CW. I love how the only network that would accept us is the CW. <laughs> you know that's true. I do. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like Freeform would stoop low enough to take me. The, well, Freeform is like the the YA CW. <laughs> so, so I feel like we could fit in there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, seriously, they'd be like, guys, Gilmore Girls did this. One Tree Hill did this. Buffy did this. It's like, how is all of this in one show? They'd be like, you put in time travel. Why? It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> you realize oh you just God. made Stars Hollow, right? <laughs> I'm 
just imagining some be like, you have too many tropes going on in one episode. <laughs> Why is the show only lesbians? <laughs> that already exists already too. Yeah. Oh, all right. Okay. We still have one more story. Yes. Mary, what happened to Dylan McKay this week? Erica wakes Dylan and Kelly up for an emergency. Suzanne and Kevin are moving to South America, but really it's Arizona, and Kevin wants to try to set up his own science company or something. Too bad all of the investors he talked to hate L.A. Um, Suzanne does some not-so-subtle dangling my daughter's departure in front of Dylan's face to get him to finance her fiancé's research. Oh, and also Erica is Team Brenda. Kelly is like... Please get this kid out of your room while I'm in here. And also, she just kind of storms out of the house to not be around all of Dylan's family shit. Dylan leaves Brenda a St. Genesius medal backstage before her first performance, and it's really fucking sweet. Too bad he's dating her best friend. Dylan talks to Jim about investing in Kevo's biochemistry stuff. Dylan spits Jim's investment lingo back at him when Jim finds out the investment is in Suzanne's boyfriend's company. Oh, sorry, fiance. Jim wants to meet <laughs> Kevin at the office, but then Dylan is like, how about Sunday brunch if Cindy says it's okay? After Dylan talks to Jim, Dylan talks to Brenda, and they get super close together while they talk, and Brenda kisses his cheek. They both say each other's names and then leave some other shit unsaid when Brenda leaves for the theater. Kelly begrudgingly agrees to go to investment brunch, which I didn't realize would be at Casa Walsh, uh, she makes a bunch of faces while Dylan and Suzanne talk Kevo up to Jimbo. Dylan and Kelly get past their problems by pretending they don't exist. Haha, ha, just kidding. They break up. R.I.P. Deli. <laughs> okay, that was truly like maybe not the wildest breakup that we've had, but it's like it's up there. They were like, bygones be bygones immediately after. Actually, I can't let it go. And then Dylan just drives away. Yeah, like, it was such a 180. And it seemed very perfect and on brand for them, though. Yeah. No, I mean, like, we've been talking about wanting them to break up for so long. When they said it, I was like, I don't even care that you're, like, in a loading zone and Dylan is holding up traffic. <laughs> like, I'm happy about this. Yeah. Like, be broken up, stay broken up. That's, that's good by me. Yeah. And, like... That's the thing. I really hope they stay broken up because we know we're losing Brenda soon. And if they stay broken up, then I don't have to worry about this whole like Dylan and Brenda and Kelly triangle thing. Mm-hmm. So it's just a little played out. It's played out and it's overdone. And unfortunately, it's very clear who Dylan probably should be with and should always have been with. I mean, even the nine-year-old is Team Brenda, so. Yeah, too bad he cheated on her with her best friend. I know, it's all Dylan's fault, believe it's me. It's truly, like, yeah. it is Dylan's, I mean, Kelly was there. Like, I'm not saying that Kelly is, you know, innocent in this, but, like, Dylan should have known not to do it. And Dylan was definitely, like, going along with it. It wasn't like he was being pursued. I gotta say, out of all of that, you know, all that said and done, Kelly's pretty right at the beginning of this, being really pissed off that Erica just runs into the room. 
Oh, yeah. The first thing we freaking see with Dylan is just Erica just storming into the room because she eavesdropped poorly and heard that they're moving to South America. They act like, you know, she actually, well, first of all, Dylan doesn't even wake up. Kelly wakes up and Erica doesn't even like acknowledge Kelly exists when she comes in there. So then Dylan and Erica go outside into the living room and Suzanne and Kevin weirdly act like Dylan's crazy and Erica's crazy and said that they'd be relocating to the Southwest, like Arizona, not South America. Again, it was just like, I'm already a little sensitive to this. So my little spidey senses were tingling and I was like, "Mm, I think you did say South America. You're just trying to make it sound like it is Arizona. Right. Um, So it made me think there was one time where John and I were, so when we travel, we go on like food tours and like beer tours and all this kind of stuff. I don't remember, I think it was when we were in Italy, we went on a food tour and, you know, they ask everyone like, oh, where are you from? And John said, we're from the South of America, rather than just saying we're from the Southern US. <laughs> and like, everyone was really confused. They were like, where are you from? And I was like, we're from Atlanta. It's in the United States. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm just literally picturing like Kevin being like, we'll move to the Southern America. Arizona. (laughs) We'll move to Southern Arizona. And it sounds like South America. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely skeptical. Like, like Mary said, like they're dangling, like your sister's going to move if he can't find investors here. Right. And like, even to the point where Dylan's like, well, Hey, what happened to that company in Irvine that was interested? And Kevin's all, I mean, yeah, but then I would just be like another hamster on a wheel in the corporate world. So I don't want to do that. I need to start my own company. I need to build this from the ground up, which also sketchy. Yeah. I'm like, I'm sorry. I haven't heard a business proposal. Mm -hmm. I have no proof that you have any sort of acumen in any of this. And like, also, it's really weird that they let themselves into his house because Erica wanted to ask him about shoes is the story. Mm Mm-hmm. Like... Y'all can't just walk into someone's house, especially if he's an 18-year-old guy who has a girlfriend. I'm telling you, this whole situation is getting weirder and weirder. Yeah. I mean, like, I feel bad that Kelly's like, no, I don't want to hang out with your family, and I don't like that you spend time with them instead of me. But at the same time, like, they're weird. Well, yeah, and they clearly don't really care about her either, because even Erica is like, I still think you should be with Brenda as soon as Kelly leaves. Which, like, I, I'm i a little mad because I feel like that means that they have a relationship in off-screensville that I didn't get to see. Right, because we saw them interact once, right? Once. And they played... And it was for, like, five seconds. Yeah, I, f- I even forget what they actually did. I think... But... I, the one I'm thinking of is when they were at the Peach Pit having their, like, sorority meeting, and then Erica and Suzanne and Kevin were at the next table, and Erica didn't want to talk to Kevin, so she came to talk to the girls. That's right. But yeah. Yeah, so weird. And then, like, it even continues. They go to see the play, and Erica's like, oh my gosh, Brenda was so amazing. Kelly, what did you think of Brenda? And then Dylan's like, well, Kelly also auditioned for this role, so I bet she has a different opinion. Which, Dylan, drop it. Like, right. Kelly's fine with not auditioning in the play anymore. Like, she was the one who decided she didn't want to. 
Yeah. No, I feel like that's not really like a Dylan thing to say unless he's like being snippy and wanting to start a fight. Like he wouldn't yeah. do that normally. Exactly. I totally agree. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I think the first time that he really starts approaching Jim of like, hey, I want to get into, you know, investing more stuff. Let's meet and talk about this. Mm-hmm. And he's like talking about Kevin's tech and, and all of this. And, and then like, even after that, it's like Erica is over there with Brenda listening while she talks to probably important people. And Dylan mm-hmm. then makes a comment to Kelly that Brenda, I mean, Erica's always wanted a big sister. And it's like, wait a minute, Dylan. You're saying that Brenda would make a better big sister to your sister than your current girlfriend. Yeah. No. What is happening? He is like nitpicking and like he has to know what's happening. He has to Mm -hmm. know what he's saying. He's not dumb. Yep. And like, yeah, it's just like little barbs like that. And you keep seeing Kelly making faces that like, truly, I understand. Yeah, she's she's clearly like bothered by all this stuff and nothing's getting better. And, and it's one of those things where it's like snowballing now. So every time you talk, you're just fighting. Yeah, because I mean, even the next time we see Dylan, like he's talking to Jim again. And this is when he finally says, like, it's Kevin. It's Suzanne's fiance. Like, that's who I want to invest in. And, like, we can't even wait till Monday because he's got other investors, so we need to have brunch tomorrow. And then he goes to Brenda, and they get, like, real up close and personal with each other. And, like, you know, Kelly's not there, but at the same time, like, that's a vibe that I feel like Kelly's already feeling is missing in her relationship. Oh, for sure. I mean, this scene was there to remind us at what insane chemistry Luke Perry and Shannon Doherty had together like their tension their chemistry like it was just oozing off the screen it was like I was like girl y'all gonna kiss and then she kisses him like on the side of the mouth basically like it was on the cheek but it was like very close to his mouth and you're like oh boy oh boy what's about to happen and then nothing yeah and it was like long and like very soft and like there was definitely like some lingering of like if you turn your face I'll turn my face and we'll just go for it like you could feel it it was just right there it really was it was crazy but then um we go to the peach pit and Dylan's like all excited about how how the the meeting went with Jim or whatever and Kelly's like, well, I guess I'll go if you want me there. And, oh, Steve is here, too. I forgot he's in the scene, too, because Steve's like, uh, pretty sure he just said he wanted you there, Kelly, because they're doing that thing. It's like, well, I'll go if you want me to. Well, do you want to go? I'll go if you want. Like, it was that weird back and forth. Yeah. So. And I, I will say, like, he initiated and was like, you'll be there, right? And she was like, well, I wasn't invited. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, he kind of just did. But at the same time, like we've seen her feeling ignored. So it doesn't surprise me that, you know, she says something like that. Yeah. I mean, it almost sounds like Dylan didn't actually like ask her to just assume she would be there, but because Kelly's feeling so insecure lately, she's like, well, I don't, I didn't feel like you wanted me there because you didn't ask. Yeah. 
which like, man, it's been a long time since I've been in public with other people. <laughs> but do you remember like going to to meals and your friends that are in a couple just like getting a tiny little fight at the table and you're just like, Ugh, what do I do? It's so awkward, but it's like we've all been there. We've, we've been the been friends there. observing it as well as the couple that's been in the fight. And it's like, oh, so awkward every time. <laughs> yeah. And Steve and Brandon are just like sitting there. And of course, Steve inserts himself into it. And it's just of like, course. no, he, he invited you. I was here. No one asked you, Steve. Go to the yeah. Kelly just like shoots him daggers and. Anyway, the good news is, is the next scene with Dylan, Cindy gets to make brunch for everyone. Okay, but was brunch spaghetti? (laughs) I didn't even notice. I think brunch was spaghetti. (laughs) Was it breakfast spaghetti? (laughs) God, I hope so. That just made me think of Elf when he makes them spaghetti for breakfast and just has all of, like, the candy and marshmallows on the table. <laughs> but, like, so good. seriously, I'm pretty sure it was spaghetti because the first thing you see is someone, like, sticking tongs in a giant bowl and, like, picking it up like you would pick up long strands of spaghetti to put on a plate. Maybe the direction was just, like, Be enthusiastic about what you're picking up out of the bowl onto your plate. (laughs) I mean, just think of a brunch food that looks like spaghetti but isn't. Long hash browns. (laughs) (laughs) A single hash brown. (laughs) Cindy's invented pancake spaghetti. Oh, Oh, man. I bet it tastes like funnel cake and I want it. Oh, I bet it does. Right? Like, I'd actually eat that. And I bet Cindy could perfect it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. Okay, so it's this brunch. Everybody's there. They've, you know, done the standard brunch thing where you grab your plate, you form a line, you serve yourself. Except Dylan, who is just, like, sticking himself in wherever he wants to in the opposite direction. And just, like, throwing off the flow. And I just gotta say, Dylan was driving me nuts. Well, and it was clear he was distracted because he just kept talking about how much like how amazing Kevin is and how well if this was a few years ago you know we the bay wouldn't be so messed up and like da 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 and I I mean even I was like okay Dylan chill out well and this is another time that like I don't remember exactly what they were saying but it's when like Dylan kind of barges in next to Kelly and Kelly looks up and like makes a face and like yeah this is a weird brunch that you've got yourself stuck at Yep. And then, yeah, I mean, like, they're getting all excited about this investment. Like, it even sounds like Jim is getting really excited about this and, like, he wants to get in on it. And they leave the brunch and Dylan's so excited, but he drops Kelly off at the hospital. And this is when Kelly makes this comment. She's like, take away the sex and we have no relationship. And I'm like, I've been saying. Literally, I was like, did Caitlin write this? I don't I didn't even remember that this was a thing that happened. Like you can't blame it on my memory because <laughs> I really don't have one with this show, apparently. <laughs> I mean, with how much stuff happens on this show, I'd honestly be impressed if you remembered any of it. Like yeah. so much happens. I mean, it's crazy. Like <sighs> 
Kelly finally said it, right? Like said what they're probably both thinking. And then Dylan tries to play it off and say, no, it's just a communication breakdown. And then things are just fixed, right? Like out of thin air. It's all fine because Dylan says, like, are you willing to forget everything that's happened the last few weeks? Which whoever thought that was a good idea. Kelly's like, sure, okay. And then Dylan's like, consider it fixed. And then they like make out like real quick. But then as Kelly's getting out of the car, like they immediately blow up at each other. Yeah, well, and like it's very interesting that they made the comment that we're just going to forget everything that happened because literally in the last episode when everyone was like, you know, talking about Brenda behind her back and Kelly was like, I wish we could just forget all this happened. Brenda's like, well, I can't forget it because mm-hmm. it happened. Mm-hmm. Like it's definitely acknowledging that like there is a difference between Kelly and Brenda and Kelly is ready to just like drop everything because she still wants to be in this relationship, even though she knows it's bad. Right. And she's like, I like, I don't even believe her when she's saying like, which she doesn't explicitly say because it's worth fixing, but like you have to believe that because she's gung ho to fix it, that it is worth fixing. And it's like, man, sometimes you just got to know when to cut bait, you know, like, got to cut a man loose like you're not happy he's not happy this is not good which i mean literally that's it like the you know they they throw a couple of different lines back at each other and then dylan literally just puts on his sunglasses and drives away and delhi is donezo i can only hope it's permanent truly i don't want more breaking up and getting back together between the two of them i would agree that's it. They're at the hospital. Andrea's in labor. Brandon, Brandon's there and Kelly's walking in a free woman. <laughs> oh, boy. Didn't even think about that. Oh, man. But will Brandon get to meet the president? And will Andrea have her baby? We'll find out next episode. Next episode in the two-part finale of season four. We done made it, y'all. I cannot believe it. I really can't. But before that, I have quote of the week. Yes. Um, yeah. The only things I wrote down were the Brandon quote that I mentioned, the Kelly quote that I mentioned, and a gram of orange juice. <laughs> so I don't think any of those. Oh, I also wrote, come meet Eddie. He's from New York. Our best friends live in New York. <laughs> Jim and Cindy are so precious. <laughs> like, I don't know why we got to be blessed with them this episode when they've been like barely visible in the last couple episodes, but they were on point. And I was just like, oh, mom and dad. So I wrote down two quotes. Um, they were both said by Brandon okay. and they're both throwaway lines. One of them was when... Um, Jim is making breakfast because Cindy doesn't because she's a school mom now. Um, And Brandon said, fry on, big daddy. (laughs) And I died. Um, And then the other one. Okay, so basically Brandon and Steve are talking about Laura and Brandon is just confirming what we thought last week when we said she's never coming back. And Brandon says, that's it for Laura. Wow. Wow. So I didn't thanks, even catch writers. that one. Yeah, wow. Really gave us closure on that one. Um, well, I'm I'm proud to say that the first quote that you gave me 
was in fact my quote of the week. <laughs> Fry on Big Daddy? Fry really? on Big Daddy. Oh, no yeah. way. <laughs> now, granted, I did also include the accountant joke right before it because it was basically like he gets, he says, always leave it to the accountant to balance his books. Fry on Big Daddy. Like, so I liked the whole thing. But yes, 100%. That's what it was. I love it. We have a winner. I mean, it just makes sense. It was so good. It's, <laughs> I feel like when we get like these like quippy little scenes with Brandon and Jim, they are almost guaranteed to win because I just remember like, would you like to join me in a bowl of cereal? Dad, I don't think we'd both fit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They're so <sighs> dumb, but so funny. <laughs> oh my gosh. What if we had the bottle 24 episode with Jim and Brandon. Jim is chaperoning Brandon to DC. Yep. I'm into it. Oh my god. I'm into it. Jim would be more invested in Brandon meeting the president than Brandon would be. Oh, yeah. most definitely. Like the goal the is one... to just get Brandon to the president and Brandon would get distracted along the way. So Jim had to be like his handler. No, it would be the thing where like the beginning of the third act is Brandon being like, we're never going to make it to see the president. We might as well just give up here and like sitting down on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. And then Jim gives an invigorating speech and is just like, no son of mine is going to not meet the president. It's going to be like the Boy Meets World episode when they go to Disney World to find Topanga so Corey can like win her back and they keep trying to find Topanga and they just keep barely missing her <laughs> except Topanga is Bill Clinton in this <laughs> god I wish it was Topanga though oh I know but okay next week like we said it is the two-part season finale of season four it's Technically, by IMDb, it's season four, episode 31. Mr. Walsh goes to Washington. What if it was only Jim? <laughs> <laughs> they never I clarified. I can't tell if I would love or hate that. I know. Oh, my too gosh. Good. It's too good. Well, we'll have to find out which Walsh goes to Washington next week. And until then, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Back2Podcast. Shoot us an email of uh, your spinoff ideas or your episode idea for the twenty Beverly Hills 90210 <laughs> <laughs> Um Send us that email at com. That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to go into your podcast app and rate, review, subscribe, you know, leave us five stars would be preferred, but you know, always be honest. If you leave us a review, we'll shout you out on the podcast. But I mean, like all that stuff really helps us get seen. It really boosts us up so that other people can find us. We can, you know, have more discourse and then other people can tell us their spinoff ideas and we can just finally write all that fanfic and then send it to the one producer we know. <laughs> um but yeah you'll find out the thrilling season finale next week and until then i'm jim and cindy's best friend in new york <laughs> i'm miss peggy i'm either carlos lenny or pk bye bye see ya <laughs>